I don't know if you um, you do the same things that I do every once in a while, but does anybody play the what if game? What if when she had the chance, she said no? Just the fact of her pregnancy was an act of generosity. Consider all that she had to empty her hands of in order to say and to receive the gift of a baby boy. Her reputation, she had to give away. Her plans for a safe and secure future, (laughs) given away. It sets the tone, it sets the frame for our conversation this morning um, to think about how in a culture of demand, in a society of more, in a um, frame set for us by greed, do we who are the people of God say enough? How do we prepare our hearts? How do we prepare Him room? And so, in our conversations over the last uh, two or three weeks, we've been um, thinking in terms of of an Advent conspiracy, uh, a a way of, of subverting the way the culture frames Christmas to be about getting, about obtaining in order to give so that people think you're generous. How do we push back against that? Against a culture of more, a culture of demand, a culture of definition by possession. So we've been talking, as Billy said, about generosity, or we will talk today about generosity. We've been talking about worship. and uh, Invite you then into the third term of our Advent reflection in, in terms of generosity. Because generosity seeks to be defined, to be marked, to be known, not by what is held, but by what is released, by what is given. Not by, 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 by what is identified with us, but by what we have released from us. Generosity is insurrectionist. In a culture of acquisition, generosity says here. It says release. It is countercultural. So, um, I'm going to ask you to look at a, at, a, at, a, at a text that we don't normally look at at a Christmas time, but one which is thoroughly Christmas, and that is Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 3. A familiar text. In fact, the story that ends with the announcement of the birth of Jesus, the song of the angels, Behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of a great joy, which will be to all the people. There is born for you this day in Bethlehem a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That story begins in our text this morning, where God selects a non-deserving human being to be the recipient of His generosity. So we begin in verse 1 of chapter 12, where the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, 
your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will then make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So the story that ends with the proclamation that all of the people, that this good news is for all of the people on earth, began here with this promise. If you go back with me to verse 1 and and look at that, please notice what Abram is being asked to do is leave everything that defined him. Leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household. Those three things are not kind of random rhythms. Those are the ways of identity. That's your social security number. That is not only your past, it is also your future. Abram, I want you to empty your hands of everything that has to this point made you, you. Because in that ancient Near Eastern culture, by knowing what your father did, by knowing where you lived, by knowing who your people were, I knew who you were. I could gain a sense of your identity. I could get a sense of what you were going likely to be doing for the rest of your life. So God is asking Abram to empty himself, to generously give away everything that has defined him and everything that will define him. For what? Something that he will show him when they get there. He is inviting Abram to leave the security of what he has in his hands for an adventure, a journey that Abram has no capacity to understand at this point. That's why I think this is probably a Christmas text. It invites us to let go and to generously release uh, even our lives to the adventure of God's coming. Then the second verse makes the point that I want to kind of sit with this morning. I will, having you, you're having done that, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Um, The point that I wanted to kind of sit on is that that last last phrase. The New International Version, version, um, the way that the English translate this, suggests, at least one of the ways of reading what is indicated there, is that God will bless so that you have the option of blessing. But in fact, the Hebrew text here is quite a bit more explicit. This is not um, uh, a result clause. In other words, blessed with the result that you can bless. It is an imperative clause, which says, you are blessed so that you might bless. In other words, it's not just the result of being blessed that enables us to bless. It is the purpose for which we are blessed that we might bless. Do you you see the the difference there? That's why I think this is a text for us. Because what God is doing with Abram is forming a people. He is beginning the long journey to a new culture of the kingdom. This is the first story that begins to get us a glimpse of hope after the disaster of Genesis 3. 
where God is beginning to move on the human scene to restore what was broken, to redeem what was lost, to reconcile what has become alienated. Do you see? And it's fascinating to me that God's strategy for reconciliation, God's strategy for, for pulling things back together again, begins with generosity. It begins with Him choosing to bless a person who didn't deserve His blessing as if anybody does. Right? The reason I think God does that is because He knows that the culture defined by Genesis 3 is a culture of grab. And He wants to push back with a culture of blessing. Not grab, but generosity. Not grab, but give. Do you see? And so he, he begins that way with an invitation to Abram to receive blessing so that he can be blessing. Yeah? So in the doing of that, my sense is that God is trying to create a culture. God is trying to create a subversive force. God is trying to create a people who are defined by that same radical generosity. That same heart and being to give. Please notice that in verse 1, Abraham has left, left everything that defined him in his culture as somebody who could be a blessing. He's left all his financial prosperity. He's left all of who defined him as a person and a position in the culture. He has left all of those things behind. He has left his father behind, which means that he has left his inheritance behind. He is leaving with nothing with which to be a blessing. Do you see? So in other words, it's not that Abraham is going to receive all of this good stuff and then out of that he will be able to be generous. It is that he is being asked to completely empty his hands and be a blessing with whatever it is that God puts in his hands and nothing more. Because he has nothing more. You see? So he, he is, he is a, forming a community without resource except what God provides. It is a community then that it is not resource simply to have, but specifically in order to give. So the, the point of this, again, just underlines that God um, is desiring, as it turns out, this is a strategy that he will use. Romans gets us at this where he says, what is it, finally, at the end of the day that enables us to repent? Is it fear of judgment that enables repentance? It is the threat of punishment that enables repentance? No, it's the generosity, it's the kindness of God that enables us to repent. That same strategy here. In a culture in which God could have exercised power... He exercised generosity. Do, do you see? He was not interested in acquiring. He was interested in releasing. Which, if we look at the story of creation, shouldn't surprise us. What does God do on each of the six days of creation? He empowers. He releases. He resources. And He lets go. So it shouldn't surprise us that when he begins the long journey back home again, 
He begins with generosity. He begins with blessing. And with a commission. Having received, give. Do you see? So when we think through this in terms of generosity uh, this morning, I'd like you to just kind of frame this. Because generosity isn't first what you do. It's not first an action. It is first a posture out of who you are. So God is making a people here who are to be marked by generosity, not first by what they do, but by a a disposition, by a posture, by an attitude. Because how many of you have received gifts from people who didn't really want to give? You know how that feels, don't you? Versus receiving somebody, something from somebody who is generous of heart. Isn't there, isn't there even in the receiving a difference, right? You, you can tell the difference between people that have given you things, gifts that you have received, even if, even if they were wonderful things that you might appreciate, but you know you received them because somebody had to do it. Not because their heart was a generous heart, Right? God wants us to become formed to be the kind of culture, the kind of people who are generous from the inside out. Not just with the overflow of what is in our hands, but out of our very nature. Because generosity is built on trust. The people who are generous because they have to be generous are that way because they're afraid that their generosity will impoverish them. That when I give, because I have to give, it'll mean less for me. It's a zero-sum game. It's a pie. And the more you get as a result of my generosity, the less I'm left with. How many know what that feels like? Right? God wants us to be the kinds of people who trust Him, who have a heavenly Father who knows what we need before we ask and and has given us all that we have need of. And so when we give things away, we are not giving our things anyway. We are giving things that He has blessed us with in order that we can bless others with those things, trusting that He will supply the need that is created when we give things away. Did all that make sense? Right? So, so it, it is a mark and a measure of the f- reality that we stand in. And failure to be generous is likewise a mark of the world in which we stand too. So generosity is a statement of faith. It's a statement of trust that when I give you something that God has given me, God hasn't run out of resource for me either. This is what Paul says when he talks to the Corinthians. He says, How come you people are so, so stingy in your giving? Don't you realize that if God's given you the seed to sow, sow the seed. He's, he knows where seed comes from. He can resource you again if you're generous with what you have been given in the first place. Because the truth is, If you're not generous with what you've been given in the first place, all you have is what you've been given in the first place. That's all you get. But if you give, who knows what might replace what has been given. Do you see? 
So we're invited into a, a, a life, a community in which generosity is a mark of the heart, of a life that recognizes blessing as something to be stewarded, not something to be possessed or owned. Um, it, it is the, the, and again, this is a point if you're familiar with the parable of the talents. Remember the story? Jesus tells these two or three versions of this. A guy goes away, and before he goes away to do business in a far country, he gets three of his, his employees and says, here, I, I want you guys to take care of my stuff. You get one talent, you get three, you get five. When I come back, I want to know what you did with what I gave you. None of it's yours. You're all free to enjoy it while you have it, but I'm going to ask you what you did with my stuff. Right? So he goes away, comes back, and you know the story. The guy had five, now gives him back ten. Here, this is what I did with it. Guy who had three, gives him back six. This is what I did. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. The guy who won comes, gives him a, a dirty bag with the one talent still in it. I buried it. I, I, I knew what kind of guy you were, and I wanted to make sure that when you came back, I could at least give you what you gave me back. This wasn't pleasing to the owner, because the point of the giving was not hoarding, but giving. Do you see? That's the point of the parable. It's a parable of generosity. It's a parable of stewardship. It invites us to think about, how can I be a steward of what God has given me? Generosity, then, is an expression of gratitude. It's a way of saying thank you. It's a way of recognizing dependence. It is built on a receptive posture, a foundation of receipt. It's an open posture that is receiving as well because a generous hand is an open hand. Giving creates capacity for receiving. It creates space, right? It creates... Um, a culture of release, not of holding. So in all of this, and this is kind of the point I wanted to get to with all of this, it is a mark of the nature of God. It is a family trait of the people of God. How many people, how many of you have got family traits that you recognize as coming down through the generations, right? Some of you will experience this at Christmas time. You'll, you'll, you'll take a, a new husband or a new wife or a girlfriend or a friend home for Christmas and, 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 and he or she will make the observation. I notice that everybody in your family ends sentences at the, uh, on the up. It's not a question. Why do they end things up? Right? It's just the way we talk in our family. We didn't, this is a collision of normals, my normal and your. I, how did, how did you, I, a couple of years ago we were at a, a, my cousin's wedding in, in southern Alberta. And it was the first time that all of us had been together with my dad's remaining siblings. So he was probably 83, 80, 82, 83 at the time. And his two sisters were there and an uncle was there. So they were, all four of the remaining siblings were, were, were there. And in Canada, they do like a wedding. And then like 12 years later, they have the, re not 12 years, it's like about three hours, but it feels like 12 years. They, ha they have the reception for pictures and all this kind of stuff, right? So we were in, in, in my, my aunt's backyard, kind of killing time, and, and she had served food and everything. And then, and then my son nudged me and says, Dad, look at their napkins, right? 
And all of the siblings had done what they teased me for doing for the last five years, which is to shred napkins. You're sitting, you're just sitting there and you're doing something with your hands. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And, 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 and it's like that. So, so, so my son, he thought this was hilarious because the family trait in the Dogtrum family is napkin shredders. We're going to go down in history as people like that. And I noticed I've got three boys. One of them is a Dogtrum because he shreds napkins too. We're not sure about the other two. We're not, they're probably Hingstons or whatever, you know, Martz's or Judy's side of the family. But I know, I know I have at least one boy to carry on the tradition of, the, the grand tradition, may I say, of napkin shredding, right? And, and so you, we'll, we'll, we have these family traits, maybe a, a distinctive way of laughing or, or, or how they sneeze. I'm just, where does that come from? You don't learn sneezing. It's not like there's a course in it, right? But, but, but there's a distinction, right? Or, or, or you, 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 you get the point. Well, what is the, fa- what is the characteristic by which people in the family of God are to be known, to be recognized. Generosity. That's the family mark. That's the family identity. That's the characteristic of the sons and daughters of God. Generosity. A heart set on release. A heart set on receiving so that I can release. Here's the other thing. Notice how subversive this is against the culture of darkness. Notice how how undermining this is on the social structures that we're already feeling the pressure of, right? Where, 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 Where we can't learn contentment with what we have because there's a bigger, better, faster, more that's just been, and I must have it. Remember when we were talking about the seven deadly sins uh, 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 last Lent, we were, we were talking about greed. The point of greed is not owning. The point of greed is owning more. Greed is an is a endless cycle of consumption. It's like a, a dog chasing its tail. And we live in a culture that that not only is defined by that, but that cultivates us as the engine of the economy. How do the people of God push back? How do the family of God push back against that kind of culture, which is really the mark of a Genesis 3 culture? Generosity. A culture formed against uh, it's a weapon formed against the culture of grab and greed that responds to those things by giving. The culture defined by acquisition and possession is responded to by a kingdom that is defined by contentment and giving. So as we head into this um, third week now, this is the third Sunday of Advent, Please notice that generosity is about giving what you have, not what you don't have. It's not about going and acquiring something so that you can be generous. Because the truth is, if you're not generous with what you have, you won't be generous with what you get. 
right? It's like the guy that says, when, when I win the lottery, then I'll be... No, you won't. You just won't. If the heart isn't set on generosity to begin, receiving something won't make it generous. It'll make it more grabby. So we begin with what's in our hands. And, 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 and usually when we think of generosity, we think in terms of like money. But, but think about this. What's in your hands? Can you be generous with your time? Can you be generous with your silence as a brother or sister shares their story with you? Can you, can you be generous with a presence in pain? Can you be generous with a gift, a talent that you have? So it's, it's about giving of self first before it's about giving time or resources or money or talent or presence. But when we, when we give ourselves, those are other, all kinds of other ways in which we can be generous. Some of you this morning, at least in, in the first service, and I'm, I'm guessing in the second service, when you look at what's in your hands, what you see there is pain. What you see there is brokenness. Right? Because that's, that's where you're at right now. What you see there is grief. What you see there is loss. Can we give out of what's actually in our hands? And I'm going to suggest to you that if we don't learn how to give out of brokenness, letting our hearts be shaped, our hearts of generosity be shaped by inadequacy, that generosity that we long for in times of blessing won't get formed. I mean, you think about the Christmas story, and you just realize that if Mary and Joseph... Indeed, that whole scene had not begun by giving out of brokenness, out of emptiness, out of inadequacy. I mean, just think about this. You, you, you have a, a, a woman who is pregnant under questionable circumstances. In that culture, had Joseph not acted the way he did, she was liable to be stoned. That's why, one of the reasons why I think she went away to the hill country to be with her, her, her sister, uh, Aunt Elizabeth, to avoid the public scrutiny. You have a couple who is homeless and who has no resource. For Joseph to have, have obeyed the command of Caesar Augustus to go to Bethlehem meant leaving behind the, the, the practice that he had built up, the business that he had built up in Nazareth. What did he have? He had his talents, but he had no resource other than that. When they end up in Bethlehem, they end up at a place in which there is no place for them. It was one of my roles. When I was a kid, we did Sunday school, Christmas concert. Anybody else? Yeah? So I, I was there on a Sunday night in my bathrobe, and my role was to say, there is no room in the inn. I, 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 I still remember it to this day. It was, a, it was one of those moments, you know. 
There is no room in the... Can, they didn't have inns in the first century. There weren't hotels. They didn't have that kind of... Because when we get the idea there is no room in the inn, we get the ideas like, you know, they kind of check into the Hilton or the Hyatt or the, you know, the Marriott or something like that, and, they, oh, I'm sorry, there's no vacancy. No, there weren't any of those kinds of places. What they were going to was the homes of near relatives. There's no room in the house, is what they heard. There's no space for you. All we got is a vacated stable. Springtime. The animals are out on the fields. If it had been winter, they would have been in the manger. They would have been there. But because it was springtime, well, that's what I have to give. An empty stable. Please notice what that does to all of your creches. If you've got cows and lambs and donkeys around, take them out because they weren't there. Just, just saying. Okay, so, so, so here we have an empty stable borrowed having been given. I just think it's so profoundly significant that this gift, God so loved that He gave, out of who He was, unforced, but completely natural, comes a gift that requires receiving. Because sometimes, the most generous thing you can do is receive the gift of another. Do you know what I mean? You know what, we, we, want, we always want to be on the giving side, don't we? We always want to be the one saying, here. But in order for us to be on the, ones, the one saying, here, there needs to be somebody on the other side saying, thank you. Maybe your gift of generosity is a profound emptiness that has capacity to receive with gratitude. And that's the gift you give out of a generous heart. You see, generosity isn't about taking stuff and giving it away. Generosity is a frame of soul, a shape of heart that reminds people of the Father who was born as a baby who required care in order even to survive. Had Mary, had Joseph not been generous, Jesus would have died. It's hard to think like that. But that's the pushback to a culture of demand, to a culture of more, to a culture of definition by stuff. Giving without the thought of return or repayment or even of recognition. We don't love so that we're loved. We don't love so that we're celebrated as being a great lover. We don't give to receive. We give because we're givers, whether it is appreciated or not. Yes? And shape the souls of those to whom we give by our generosity 
not by our needing response. Sometimes we need to be reminded that generosity is a statement of trust, a statement of faith. So as we shape our response this morning, I'm going to invite you to go to one of the two prayer fences that we've got here, or if you go to the crosses and the tables, the elements of communion. But before you do that, I want you to just take a moment and ask Jesus to tell you what's in your hands. Most of us aren't always aware of that. It might be that what's in your hands is emptiness. Can you generously give that? Some of you have resources in your hands, and Jesus has been speaking to you about what to do with some of those things. Maybe possessions, maybe money, maybe time, maybe talents, maybe those kinds of things. But let him identify what's in your hands. And then I'm going to invite you to say, I give it away. Show me how to do that this week. Show me how to take what you've shown me as in my hands and find some way, someone, somehow to release that to you. To release it with courage and because I've been blessed. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for um, this... Um, text and this reminder uh, this morning. Uh, it's kind of um, been a hard one for me even to get my head and my heart around because I feel so challenged by your word today. I find myself often giving so that I will be thought to be a giver, giving so that I will be recognized, and then finding myself feeling sorry if, 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 if I'm not appreciated for what I've done. Oh God, I recognize not the family resemblance that I want in that. So I pray, oh God, for capacity to become a generous person. Um, taking what is in my hands and offering it up first to you because it's yours to begin with, but then to others. Maybe it's time Maybe it's talent, maybe it's treasure, maybe it's presence, maybe it's emptiness, maybe it's sitting with somebody in shared pain. But Lord, we want to be generous people because we have been blessed. We have received from you. And now, Lord, we want to give. Show us how to do that. Jesus' name.